Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is our uh, go-to cycling analyst back from vacation. It's Tyler Dello. Tyler, what's going on, man? Hi, Dimitri. I'm, I'm excited to do a PDO cast. I've got the Welta on on my uh, computer, so if anything exciting happens there, we'll be able to bring it to your listeners first, since Sportsnet didn't pick it up this year. Yeah, that's a bit above my pay, pay grade. I don't decide what we uh, what we broadcast and what we don't, but you know what? Even if I was in charge of it, I still probably wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have put it on. But it, it's, it's, it's a good Canadian boy. He's doing well. He likes hockey. <laughs> Mike Woods, you know, he deserves a shout-out. He... Uh, he rode the Giro in the spring, and he tweeted that he, like, some guy yelled at him when he was going up one of the tough climbs, go Sens, go, and he loved it. He's a big Sens fan. So, shout out to Mike Woods riding the Vuelta. Uh, he was hanging around with Chris Froome yesterday, which is pretty good company. I wonder what Mike Woods thinks about uh, the Sens' impending regression this season. Uh, he probably doesn't believe in it. These cycling guys just think if you work harder, work harder, you can, uh, you can overcome that. Yeah. No, they figured out the, uh, they figured out the magic elixir. Um, yeah, we're going to do another mailbag show here. We've been cranking these out this summer and, uh, listen, I mean, the listeners have been coming through. They've been nailing it all summer with the questions they've been sending in. And they've been one of the biggest reasons we've been able to keep up, uh, the regularly scheduled programming while everyone else seems to be sipping mojitos by the beach. So, uh, we're going to get into it here and, uh, it's a good reminder that if anyone else wants to get in on the action for a future show, they can send in their questions via Twitter or email and we'll try to get to them. Um, the first one here, and this is one of those uh, kind of quintessential questions that we can debate and uh, that may have no obvious correct answer. It might depend on your perspective. I mean, you know, what is the meaning of life is an obvious one that comes to mind. And my personal favorite one is who drives the bus in, in Anaheim for the Kessler Silverberg Cogliano line? I'm a little skeptical of Kessler, and just because it kind of looked like he was done by the end of Vancouver, or it didn't look like he was done, right? But like, like he had a much bigger fall off than the Sedins, mm-hmm. uh, and like the Sedins now kind of, uh, you know, they've sort of hit the end of the road. But if you look back at, um, you know, like twenty, what was his last year there? Thirteen, fourteen? Yeah. Yep. If you look back at that year, you know, um, he wasn't remotely close to them. Whereas, you know, when it was like peak Ryan Kessler in the early part of the, the decade, um, you know, he was crushing guys when he was on the ice. 
and and he was right up there with the Sedins as far as possession, etc. So he'd kind of fallen off. <coughs> Pardon me. And you know, then he went to Anaheim and he had the big bounce back. But even then, a lot of that is kind of you know great numbers and Lindholm's on the ice, so so otherwise. So I'm a little. I don't know. I'm skeptical. I, I kind of wonder if maybe Cogliano and Silverberg deserve a little more credit for that line than they get. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, there's the, you know, Kessler obviously struggled with injuries quite a bit towards the end of his Vancouver run, too, and um, and sort of plays the, the style of game uh, that you think wouldn't really age well into his 30s, which is why um, I think it's fair to be a bit, you know, have your eyebrows raised about what's been going on with him recently. Um, so, he played like 1,200 minutes of 5-on-5 last year. And with Cogliano, uh, he spent nearly like 1,000 of those. And they were awesome whenever they were nice together. And when Cogliano wasn't out with him, um, I'll be in a smaller sample, obviously, uh, he, his performance created quite a bit. And I imagine, do you think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that maybe he was just being deployed for like defensive zone draws and stuff? Yeah, like, I'd say like, uh, you know, I, I used to be an Oilers fan and I got to watch the development of Andrew Cogliano as a uh, guy taking faceoffs and he can't take faceoffs. So I think what was happening there was when the Ducks had defensive zone faceoffs, they'd frequently get, uh, you know, get another center out there and sit Cogliano on the bench. Hmm. So Cogliano would come out as the play moved up ice. So I don't, I know there's a big split in the Wowie there, but I don't really, I don't necessarily buy that that's anything more than um, circumstance. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, listen, um, regardless of who is driving that line, um, it's a very effective one for Anaheim and I think the maybe the more interesting question here for them is um you know we saw last year that as the year went along they um and they acquired Patrick Eves especially they were able to split Perry and Getzlaff up effectively for the first time in, in seemingly forever and sort of give their team uh three very solid lines they could roll and they became much more dangerous as soon as they did that do you think that's something we see more of next season uh especially with Eves resign now or do you think that they're going to go back to just loading it up top, up top uh probably depends i i kind of think that's probably something you should be deciding on a game by game basis sort of depending who your opposition is and what they have hmm. because they're probably like it's you know it's the question really becomes what are the better matchups for you in a given game and that kind of depends on what the other guys got, right? Right. So I, I yeah, it depends is my answer. Do you want to hear a remarkable Kessler stat? So last year amongst forwards, um, just in terms of raw total ice time, only Patrick Kane played more than him last season, which um, is is pretty remarkable. And then you know we you have Connor McDavid after and Blake Wheeler and Vinny Trocek, but Kessler was uh, Kessler was a workhorse for them last year. Yeah, he's uh, he's a bomber. Mm. He's uh, he's he's well. He plays every special team, right? right? Yeah. That's that's what drives it for him. Mm. So, um, so one of the most uh, regularly recurring questions to appear in, in this week's mailbag um, was sort of a Penguins related question, and it was uh, concern from their fan base about the fact that they don't really have. Um, a natural third line center option after Nick Bonino walked away. And, you know, on the surface, it's probably not great that, uh, daily faceoff has Carter Rowney and Greg McKegg listed as their third and fourth options down the middle after the big two. Yeah. Um, but, and this is something you and I discussed, uh, when we did a podcast during the Stanley cup final, I believe, but 
you know, looking at Nick Bonino's numbers in 2015-16 versus last season and how that uh, HBK line with himself, Haglin, and Kessel really cratered into, like, the low 40s in shot share last season, um, I mean, it might not necessarily be as big of a loss for them as it may appear on the surface, although um, I would ideally like to see them figure out a more stable situation than, than what they have right now, I guess. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. Like, you know, you look at why that team won last year, and I don't think Nick Benino was a big part of it. Mm. So, you know, with with the greatest respect to Nick Benino, I, I suspect the Penguins will be able to uh, to survive that loss, provided that um, provided that um, what's his name, uh, you know, Sid and Gino are healthy. So do you think, assuming I guess assuming health, which might be a, a dangerous thing to just assume right off the bat, but um, do we start seeing signs of a bit of fatigue just based on how much they've played as a team the past couple of years? Or do you think it's going to be all systems go, for, at least in terms of the regular season next year for the Penguins? Um, I don't know. I, it, that's always a tough question for me. I, I, it's not something I've ever really looked at. Like, does playing those extra 20-odd games really add that much, you know, as far as mileage? Hmm. I suppose the answer is probably yes, but, like, it's not like guys who are out of the playoffs aren't doing anything, right? Like they're out there working out too. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, does it have some fatigue? Sure. Um, but, you know, they do also get three months off. So hmm. you know, it doesn't seem to me like it's a problem that the Penguins can't manage. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Obviously, assuming uh, their big guys are healthy, uh, if one of those guys goes down, then then I guess we can reevaluate. Um, oh, sure. I, I absolutely agree with that. Yes. Like I think more than any team in the league, you know, they require two guys to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ani Chopra asks, uh, you mentioned on the PDO cast certain defensemen that are tire fires. If you had to say who are the worst NHL defensemen and why, um, let's go with. Uh, like like regulars, obviously, we're not going to talk about guys who are bouncing between the AHL and NHL. Um, I guess Dan Girardi is the is the first name that comes comes to mind here. Uh, who are some of your other favorites? Who, whenever you're looking at any sort of metric, are hilariously uh, separated from the pack in in, in, a, in a negative regard? Uh, well, this isn't a metric based thing necessarily, but Ooh, I was eye like, test, eh? Eye test. Mm-hmm. I was amazed at how bad Oli Matta looks in the playoffs. And I know he's been hurt and he's had some health challenges, but mm. whew, like, um, you know, when, they, when, they, and then when you go back and look at his numbers, you kind of wonder if he was maybe a benefit. He used to play with Niskanen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of wonder if maybe he was a beneficiary of Niskanen. Right. Because like, like he just, he doesn't look particularly mobile and you know, they've got him on a big ticket for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he's one who really sticks out for, you know, or stuck out for me recently where I was just like, this guy seems like he's in over his head. Yeah. It's weird because he's, I believe 23 years old and, and he's, he profiles as, um, sort of a more modern day, um, you know, mobile puck moving defenseman. But I think a lot of it has to do with those injuries. And I especially think he struggled with, uh, with hip issues recently and he was getting exposed out wide quite a bit during the playoffs last season. So I'm right there with you. I mean, you know, guys like obviously Kevin Bieksa and, and Francois Beauchemin, who just got a contract with the Ducks, are um, worrisome to watch. I think 
But is it any secret that those guys are cooked at this point? Like, mm. like Yetta, they don't play him against anybody, and guys get lit up with him. Like, I'll tell you, I'm excited to see Shea Theodore this year in Vegas. Right. Because I think I think Vegas may have snuck, you know, a pretty good defenseman out of there. And I know if you look at his numbers last year, it's kind of like, eh. But the thing is, he was playing, you know, he got buried with Bieksa. That's true. Buried with Bieksa. That sounds like a good bad name. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know, like, like I, you know, you say, who's the worst defenseman? I think teams sometimes get stuck where they sign this guy who's got a reputation who's like 33 or whatever. And then, you know, the guy just doesn't have his fastball anymore. Okay. Well, it's, it's, this might be um, a bit off the grid, although I guess you could make the same argument if you've watched him play for the past couple of years, you'd, you'd know uh, where his game is at. But I think Jonathan Erickson might be up there for one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, it's uh, well, they've got a bunch of them, eh? Like Detroit's got a couple guys. Like, what's his Cronwell can't play anybody anymore either. No, but at least you know, in Cronwell in his prime, um, was you know, you you, you talked just recently, right a few minutes ago here about how um, you get into trouble sometimes where you you know talk yourself into these loyalty contracts for older players that served a purpose for you before, but. Like Jonathan Erickson never really justified this contract he's currently on, and he still has three more years left at four point two five, which is mind bo- is it really boggles mind considering he's already thirty three years old, and really you could make the argument shouldn't even be in the NHL anymore. Well, I'm going to do a little cross brand promotion here, Dimitri, but All I have right. a a piece coming on Peter Morazic at the uh, at the Athletic today, and one of the things that was amazing about his year last year was how many shots from the flank were tipped past him. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Erickson shows up there. And so, and he's, Erickson has an amazing tip. And, and Mike Green shows up a few times too. And, and Mike Green's another guy. I think he can do a job on a third pairing. Right. But, you know, they've got, they were trying to play him as a first pairing guy last year. And it was just, you know, the roof caved in. So what you're saying is when we're discussing guys like uh, Joe Pavelski, who's vaunted hand-eye coordination and ability to tip the puck, from in tight is uh, always talked about on broadcast. We should actually be lumping Jonathan Erickson into that discussion as well. <laughs> well, you got to see this goal. There's, I encourage, I, I'm sure all your listeners have subscribed to the athletic and you get all the cities if you subscribe. Hmm. So watch the video of this goal I've got on there because it is, it is marvelous. Yes. Oh, I, if you, if you haven't subscribed to the athletic yet, um, keep listening to this, but go and, uh, go and do so while you're, while no, you're playing this podcast, go subscribe to the athletic. Nah, that's true. Actually, we've already got their downloads. I don't really care if they keep yeah, listening yeah, at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and rate the podcast. Mm, yes. Oh, please rate and review on iTunes. Um. So Alan Hall here, and I'm picking him uh, just because he was the first one that came came up here. But a few people uh, expressed their concerns about the uh, ongoing Andreas Athanasiu um, situation in my timeline, and I think we're gonna be in a bit of a disagreement here. Um, but he asks, how absurd is Detroit to potentially let Athanasiu slip through their fingers here? Um, I know you're not a big fan of his game, and I understand why, but um, I don't know. What, what, what do you think about the situation that's going on right now in Detroit with him? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder about this big KHL offer. Like, is the KHL throwing money at third and fourth line NHLers at this point? So, I, you know, I don't know. Like, it's... You know, I'm kind of wondering how much it's a uh, negotiating ploy. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I he's a funny one. Like he's he's a funny one for me just because you know he doesn't really tear up the American League, and you know possession in the NHL is not good. 
You know, like he, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds silly saying this, but it's like all he does is, all he can do is score goals. And, and you know what, maybe that's enough. Maybe you can build a line around him, right? Maybe you can build a lower third, fourth line around him. But, you know, everything else there, I'm kind of like, I, I don't get why some of the kids just keep going on and on and on about, about a fantasy. Some of the kids? Some of the kids. Do you know any of those kids, Dimitri? I am one of those kids. No, right. here's, here's the thing. Right. I understand the concerns you have about his game, especially defensively. I mean, he was sheltered last season, and the Red Wings still did very poorly with him on the ice. Um, but, counterpoint, he did just turn 23 years old. He had 15 five-on-five goals last year in, in around 700 minutes, and that was the same amount as guys like Jeff Carter and John Tavares and more than Ovechkin and Kessel. Um, and that's obviously before you even account for the fact that he played way, way less than those guys. So, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a shooting percentage mirage where he was in the 20s and it's going to get cut in more than half this season. I think that while his ceiling is definitely limited as a player, if he doesn't iron out the other parts of his game, I think in this specific case, like the Red Wings are in such a compromised spot here because not only are they really bad, but they're also just so underwhelming in terms of reasons to uh, care about them or watch them this coming season. And he's sort of one of the few attractions just because of the fact that, you know, his unparalleled speed and ability to turn um, a single sliver of daylight into a, a, a breakaway going the other way is sort of became a bit of a must watch TV last year for them, or at least you'd be tuning in as soon as he'd do something. And I don't know if, if they lose him for nothing, all of a sudden, like you're hoping, I guess Dylan Larkin turns around and they still have a guy like Thomas Tatar. But beyond that, they might be right up there with like the Canucks in terms of just the most unwatchable teams in the league next season. Okay. Well, that's, that's like, I don't know. I, I don't think, and like, trust me, you know, like I've cheered for a bad team that has flawed prospects and, you know, like I think the Oilers in the late part of the, the first decade of the 20th century or the 21st century were kind of that team. And I don't know, like, you know, like Andrew Cogliano at that time was really fast and they were trying to make him an offensive guy and it wasn't working and it wasn't really a reason to watch the games. Um, but like, like I think at fantasy, like he's like, what is he? Is he Michael Grabner? Is that fair? Well, I think if he is that, that's a pretty useful player. No. Okay. Well, yes, to a degree, but Michael Grabner also like, what's Michael Grabner? He's a, he's a third or fourth line guy. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, if you want to, if you, if you want to concede that he's Michael Grabner, then I'm fine. Yeah, sure. He's Michael Grabner. I guess I'm just not like Michael Grabner is not a franchise altering player. No, I don't think anyone is necessarily claiming that Athanasiu is. I think it's more of a, a context situation just based on, you know, if the Red Wings were a really good team and had a bunch of different options, there wouldn't have been this outcry last season about Athanasiu getting buried down the depth chart. It's just that they're, wasn't really better alternatives to play instead of him like the guys they were playing were there's they're also not good but they don't provide any other sort of um other value except uh, themselves either so just that's why i think people were perplexed by how he was handled last year and this summer yeah i don't know i I, like to me like yeah when detroit's when detroit is good again Mm. I'm pretty comfortable if Tennessee is not going to be a part of it. So I have a hard time getting myself too worked up over whether or not he goes and plays for, you know, Yaroslav Torpedo or something. Well, I think uh, by at this rate, uh, by the time the Red Wings are good again, a lot of the guys currently in the NHL will not be in the NHL anymore. 
Uh, that seems like it might not be entirely untrue. <laughs> um, so Alex Giuliano asked about uh, the the undrafted college free agent du jour, uh, Alex Kerfoot, and he asked this question before we found out he signed with the Colorado Avalanche, but I think the more interesting discussion for us to have here is, you know, everyone sort of knows, is in on the joke at this point that college free agents are typically overvalued and overhyped. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're the only sort of uh, guys we can discuss at this point of the season where nothing else is really going on. But I do think that uh, sort of as a I think there's a second aspect of that too. Mm-hmm. I think it's an easy way for media guys to kind of uh, curry favor with their sources. Yep. Yeah. Like you pump you pump some guy's tires, he loves it, his agent loves it, and you know, it lets you fill fill, you know, the air during dead time. But I really wish there was like a complimentary rule where, you know, the amount of time you spend talking about the Matt O'Connor sweepstakes is the amount of time you have to spend talking about Matt O'Connor over the next three years after he signed. <laughs> and I, I think I think, you know, TSN having to dump eight hours on Matt O'Connor might uh, might cause them to maybe gauge these things a little more uh Carefully. Yes. They were huge on Matt O'Connor. Huge. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, but I'm going to cut this because I criticized TSN and this is Sportsnet thing, right? Yes. Yeah, that's There we go. That's going to be a, our, our, our drop at the start of the show to get people to tune in. Okay. Um, but I, I think just in terms of a philosophical debate here, like for a, a young player like this who is trying to make the transition from college that NHL um, you do have this sort of internal debate that goes on between whether it's better to go to a place like Colorado with an abundance of opportunity because there's so few um, names ahead of him on the depth chart immediately and I imagine that was Colorado's big pitch to him versus potentially going to a better team where he's not promised anything and it's very possible he could get buried down the depth chart um, you know, I guess there's no, it, it's tough sort of to quantify this or look at it in any sort of a tangible way, but just as, as a thought process, like what do you think there is a better way to approach it? Or do you think it just, you know, purely on a case by case basis? Oh, I think it's pretty case by case. Like to me, the issue really is, you know, if you can play ultimately, you know, it'll take care of itself. Hmm. So, you know, I don't know. You can plot all those things out to the nth degree. But, you know, it's, it's hard to predict the future. And, um, you know, if I was, I don't know, if I was advising a guy, yeah, you know, you look for a place where there's a spot. Um, you look for a place where there's, you know, yeah, I can see, uh, I can see a spot for me. But, um, but beyond that, you know, it's, you know, find a city you're comfortable, from my perspective, find a place you're comfortable in, an organization that has an approach that you're comfortable with, and, uh, get after it and don't worry too much about, you know, trying to maximize the place where you think you have maybe 8% more opportunity than somewhere else. Hmm. Well, obviously in an ideal world, you'd uh, be a perfectly complete player and you'd be able to play anywhere. But as we know, most of these guys aren't and they have some sort of flaw in their game. And, you know, we constantly see time and time again, how, um, sort of, uh, context-driven performance in the NHL is and it just it's very easy you know there is an opportunity in a place like Colorado but at the same time it's very easily it's very easy to envision uh just going there and you know things just not going your way and all of a sudden you uh completely fall apart as a player I mean I think a great example of this would probably be a guy like Justin Schultz we see where he 
I imagine went to Edmonton because he was promised a lot of opportunity and there was very few blue liners there in his way. And we see quickly that he wasn't capable of being that sort of top guy that handled everything for them. And then he goes to Pittsburgh and regardless of your thoughts on how legit his performance was, it's pretty clear that in a sheltered role, he was doing just fine. And then he could go, you know, has success, wins a couple cups, gets paid. Like, it's so I guess that's a good example for maybe not going to a place that you're just going to get to play to automatically if you actually can't handle it. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Um, okay, let's I'm looking around here. Um, oh, Matt Walker asks, who's the most likely Ontario hero? And he capitalized that to go to Toronto. There's always been your Perry, Nash, Stamkos, Tavares rumors. Is Drew Doughty next? I know you've been uh, you've been circling this topic. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? I think Drew Doughty makes the most sense, don't you? Yeah, I mean, just based on his, uh, you know, career trajectory and free agent status and Leafs needs, it definitely makes sense. I, okay. I'm surprised that David Clarkson wasn't included on this list. I know, I know. What's he, he only got four more years or three more years? And he's up again. <laughs> um, so, but no, you go back to Doughty, right? I think that's a fascinating one. Um, and like, you know, thinking about it, like what we see in the NBA, right, with how guys move around. And here's, and you know, and this ties into your point about context and hockey and all that. Um, you know, like part of the problem with being on a team that wins Stanley Cups and you're you're one of the drivers is that they pay a bunch of other people your money. This is this is my view, right? But like you look at you look at LA. LA's got all sorts of Stanley Cup legacy contracts, right? Yep. And they would have been better off letting, say, Dustin Brown walk, giving half that money to Dowdy. And then spending half that money on, you know, something else. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's just how teams operate. They win a cup. Everybody gets paid. And so if you're a player like Dowdy or Kopitar or one of these guys who's, you know, had a bunch of success in your 20s, if you stick, you know, unless your general manager is exceptionally disciplined, if you stick with that team, you know, for the second half of your career, you're going to be in a situation where there's a ton of, there's, you know, probably a ton of kind of sketchy contracts and you know, you're not maybe quite as good as you once were. So I, you know, like, gosh, if you want to win, why not go to a team that's at the other end of the rebuild, right? That doesn't have all the legacy contracts yet. Hmm. And that's, you know, you know, like hockey's kind of different than basketball that way. Just, you know, basketball, single player is so much more important. Um, but in, you know, in hockey, the culture is that everybody's, really important and everybody needs to get paid. And, and I think that that kind of, you know, limits some of these guys as they get further in their career. Right. And like, it's one thing, you know, if you're Sid, Sid, you know, Sid's kind of special. He can, uh, you know, he can take a pretty average team to a Stanley cup, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. To me, Dowdy makes a ton of sense, both from a, you know, what the Leafs need perspective and just from a perspective of, you know, like how do you want to manage your career? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, I mean, it would, it would be a much better situation for him to, in terms of, uh, extending his prime and, and relevance in the league. Cause I think the, the Kings aren't headed anywhere anytime soon. Um, but it is so Dowdy making a lot of sense there sort of kind of excludes John Tavares from this conversation, right? Like the, I understand the Tavares connection, but at the same time, he at this point doesn't really make that much sense. Um, in the current Leafs situation, I, I think. Well, yes, except that if I'm the Leafs and I got a shot at John Tavares, right. and I can contact that makes sense. 
Hmm. I'm going to sign it because, you know, a John Tavares in the hand is worth two, two Drew Daddies in the bush, right? Yep. And, um, you know, like there's, you know, you get Tavares and you put him with Matthews. Um, you know, you're not quite into a Pittsburgh uh, Malkin Crosby scenario, but you've got a pretty good uh, set of center depth. Yep. So, so yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I kind of wonder, I don't know, Tavares seems like he likes New York. I, I don't know. I, it's Dowdy makes the most sense positionally, but if I'm the Leafs, I'm not going to be sniffing at any superstar who wants to come to Toronto. I'd sign him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if John Tavares says he wants to play for your team, you uh, you make it work. Um, Aaron Pattison asks, and you mentioned the NBA uh, just a second ago. Do you think competitive balance makes the NHL a better or worse product? Would it be better or worse with super teams like we see in the NBA? Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like I follow a bunch of NBA people just because I really like the media culture around the NBA. Like there's a lot of really smart stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Like this year, for the first three rounds of the playoffs, they were all complaining about how boring it was. So, because it was so predestined. So, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where there's pluses and minuses to both. Like, there is something to be said for when you see a, um, you know, a super team get knocked out, right? Like, you remember when, uh, oh, man, when were you born, Dimitri? What year? 91. Yeah, go to hell. I was going to say, you remember when Pittsburgh lost to the Islanders in 93, how exciting that was? But nope. I'm guessing your answer is no. I did not at the time. I did not speak English. I didn't live in Canada, and I did not know what hockey was. And I don't remember anything from that time, really. So yeah, all right. So you're bringing nothing. But it was crazy, right? Like when that game seven went to overtime, and you have this like tremendous underdog Islanders team playing against you know a Pittsburgh team that's just totally stacked, and then they they beat them. It was unreal. And I guess like even thinking more recently, right? Like when the Oilers in '06 took out the Red Wings, that was pretty phenomenal. So there is something to be said for how cool it is when a team, you know, takes out a super team. And, you know, like the structure of hockey is such that even if you have a super team, you know, your chances of winning the cup are not nearly what they are for, say, the Warriors next year, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, so I, I don't know. I, I You know, it's, it, it's a matter of personal taste. I kind of like the NHLs. Like there's things I don't like about the NHL, but I like how competitive the regular season is generally. Mm. So I, I don't have a huge problem with it. Do you think there'd be an appetite um, for me to do like a deep dive from the vault series where I just like recap uh, random series from the 90s, from the early 90s? I go back and, and just watch them, watch them and, yeah. and, and talk about them. Like, or do you think that uh, a bunch of the established older media members would get furious at the way I discuss it as if it was from some, some long time ago? Oh, those guys don't listen to podcasts. That's true. Well, yeah, I think you can do whatever you want. I mean, you you listen to the podcast. Oh, but I'm oh. not older. Stop. See what I did there? Hi. Um, yeah, to, to answer this question, um, I will say that I do think the NHL's uh, parity or competitive balance is a bit overblown. Like, I agree in the regular season, it's definitely very competitive and open. But how many teams have had a realistic shot at actually competing for the Cup the past five, six years? Yeah, there's been yeah, like no, four I, teams. I think that's a fair point too, right? Like it's, it's um, like there's a group of teams that can win the cup. Yeah, and the problem is if you're not one of those teams, sure you can, you know, you can catch one of them and take one of them down. But can you beat two or three of them over the course of the playoffs? And that's you know I think harder to do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Coach Travis asks, could Detroit trade Zetterberg to a win-now team, and would said team be able to unload Zetterberg after two years? Now, I think 
you can you know more about this than I do because you're a you're a CBA contract guy. But like the Red Wings will be on the hook for Zetterberg's uh, recapture penalty regardless of if they trade him, right? Yes. So if they trade him uh, and then he retires in two years, uh, the recapture penalty I think gets doled out based on how much of the recapture benefit you or how much of the cap benefit you got. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that case, I assume Detroit has had uh, the bulk of the benefit at this point. So, you know, that's that right there is kind of interesting. Like if you're Detroit and you think that he's going to retire in two years, um, do you necessarily want to trade him to somebody else? Because like at, at next year, he's not making a ton of I think he's what, three and a half? Yeah, three and a half, three point three five next year and then one million each of his past each of the last two seasons. It's yeah. convenient that he so, wants to retire after next season. Yeah. Now the the thing I wonder is if Detroit will just uh, buy out the last two years of his contract mm-hmm. because, you know, I think, as I understand it, that will let them, um, that gives them a better outcome with the, um, oof, maybe not, but yeah, they're just going to have to eat it and it's going to suck. <laughs> That's a good well, way to sum up uh, the Red Wings moving forward. They're just going to well, have to won- eat it and it's going to suck. <laughs> they, won, they won two cups to them. What do you want, right? Yeah, no, heck of a player, and he, I think he still had a sneaky good season last year. So obviously, uh, for a contender, acquiring it would make a lot of sense. I mean, he he does carry that big cap hit, which might be tough to finagle in your books. But I mean, he's not making well, that so much money anymore, and he's still good. And you won't be on the hook for the re- recapture. So why would you not want to acquire him? Yeah, um, yeah, Detroit would have to eat some of that, and I, I don't know, I. I you know, I'm sure they could if they wanted to. I, I suspect somebody would would be interested in him. Mm. Um, but you know, they're sort of they're in that no man's land right now, right? Not rebuilding, not uh, not competing. So we'll see how it goes for them this year. Yeah, well, they should be rebuilding, but I guess they're technically not yet, um, based on Ken Holland's comments recently. Um, let's see here. Oh, Christ- Christopher Olson asks if you were to rate goals assists and second assists in a manner that reflects their contribution to team success how would that look um i don't know i probably wouldn't put a ton on second assists um it's funny i had an argument once with bruce peter who now works for the leafs this was many years ago when he was allowed to talk publicly of course Mm -hmm. And we read an argument about Andre Markov, and there used to be Canadians fans who would tell you that, oh, he, he creates power play goals with his second assists. So I actually went and watched his second assists. And when you sit down and watch it, I had two takeaways. Number one was, no, that's not true. Number two was, holy cow, Kovalev is amazing. So, you know, I don't put a ton of stock in second assists. Um, and it's kind of a thing where, um, I don't know, like that's kind of a, it's a bit of a strange question, but. Like I'm, you know, I'm more interested in, you know, like if you're trying to understand in a vacuum, whether it's the assists or the goal scoring that's driving the play, like if there's a guy who's just like, you look at Joe Thornton, right? Like when he's on the ice, I bet you he gets an inordinate amount of the first assist Mm -hmm. and like anybody can score. So in that case, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think it's the assists. Um, You know, contrast that with, you know, maybe a guy who's just like Rick Nash, peak Rick Nash, right? In his case, I think a lot of that was just peak Rick Nash. You know what I mean? Like yep. the goal, the goal, you know, like the effort to create the goal. So like really it's a question about the allocation of value as between, you know, the goal, the first assist, the second assist. 
And I think it probably changes depending on the uh, the players involved. Right. So I guess the the question, I guess, yeah. So you're you're saying on a case by case basis, and obviously to, to certain degrees. But I mean, let's say in a in a vacuum, would you rather? Do you think a uh, a top playmaker um, is going to be more capable of uh, having a tangible, you know, uh, effect on his? line mate and his rest of his teammates production as opposed to a goal scorer who might make his playmakers look better than they actually are i'd probably go with the playmaker just yeah. i guess thinking about it like thornton's a big i i really like thornton and i i don't know like i find a lot of the uh a lot of the high-end goal scorers are kind of i question how much better they make their teammates mm. yeah I, I i'm a bit gun shy about uh putting this out there because uh, it seems like some enterprising individual could actually take this idea and run with it. But you know what? If they do, good for them. But I'd be fascinated to look at a breakdown of uh, like which players have earned their line mates the most money over the course of their careers and how much that is. I imagine a guy like Joel Thornton would probably be running away with that stat. Well, I tweeted this a while ago, but like if you look at Joe Pavelski's like um, if you look at Joe Pavelski's on a shooting percentage with them. Pardon me, with and without Thornton. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy what a difference Thornton makes. Yeah. And, like, you know, that's, you know, I really think, like, you know, like hockey's kind of way of accounting for offensive credit is sort of archaic and, uh, you know, fake. And I really think it leads people to conclusions that are just completely wrong. And, you know, like, like I really think, uh, like, it's so funny, like, with San Jose, right? Like, They've been trying to like make it not Joe. Like, and this is maybe a media construct more than it is a, a team construct. Although it does seem like there's been an element of the Sharks with this too. But like you know, like like it used to be a bit of a punchline with Oilers with you know some a group of guys I was friends with who were Oilers fans. It's Logan's team now because like the media kept saying like it's Couture's team now, not Thornton's. And Thornton kept being like you know by miles the best player on the team. Yep. And and that's really uh, you know and and like Pavelski like. You look at Pavelski, if he doesn't go to San Jose, um, you know, is he perceived the way he is? I don't think he is. And I think a lot of that is just, you know, the reflected glory of Joe Thornton um, and credit accruing to a bunch of other people. But but I guess it, it's really about how you think the game works and how you think, uh, you know, the value um, accrues uh, or, 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 you know, the extent to which you think the NHL's accounting system doesn't reflect, um, you know, the real value that exists. Yeah, well, one of my favorite running jokes in NHL over the past couple of years has been uh, young Joe Pavelski, where yes. it's like he's 33 years old now, and uh, handing over the team to him seems like a questionable <laughs> decision, given that. But it it is one of those things where, unless he was like a perfectly um, like useful secondary option and a very effective NHL player before playing with Joe Thornton, but it's like yep. that it's like that part of his career never happened, and the sort of the general public started keying in on him as soon as he started playing with Thornton and it's like oh who's yeah. this new who's this young newcomer and it's like he was already like 28 or 29 years old yeah no I, and I don't have any issue with Pavelski it's just for me it's an issue of you know like people keep playing with Joe Thornton and sort of turning into goal scoring superstars and and I think kind of the the you know division of credit as between Thornton and uh you know Garen, Chichu, uh, Marlowe wasn't a huge points guy until until Thornton came to town, mm-hmm. um, and then now Pavelski. Like I think that that allocation of credit probably isn't quite right. Yep, I agree with that. Um, 
Max Power um, notes that SB Nation, uh, who's doing that uh, top 25, under 25 list, had Eichel at number six behind Pasternak, Shifley, and Line A. And he said, please help me understand this madness. Um, yeah, people are, people are undervaluing Jack Eichel at this point, right? Max Power? Uh, yeah, it's, that's, that was, that's, that's his Twitter handle. He's the man whose name you'd love to touch? Mm. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't, but I'm going to pretend like I do so that we can actually discuss the question. All right, but you mustn't touch Dimitri. His name sounds good in your ear. But when you say it, you mustn't fear. <laughs> Max Power is an old Simpsons reference, but again, because you were born in 1991. I've, I've watched The Simpsons. Let's not, let's not go that far. I know, but you've seen like post-peak Simpsons. It's all, I don't know, it's not good. Yeah, it's not. Um, Jack Eichel. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I thought that list was nuts. Um, Eichel's way too low. Like, I, I, you know, he had a really good year last year, and I just think, you know, it's a mix of he was injured and Buffalo, you know, Buffalo was Buffalo, right? Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, so I don't know. It's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really understand. Like, somebody else showed me that somebody had Jack Eichel not ranked on their top 25 <laughs> under 25. And it's like, where does SB Nation get these people? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, SB Nation has many great people. But I, I, I do kind of wonder how you don't think Jack Eichel is one of the best 25, uh, under 25 players in the NHL. Yeah, it's remarkable that uh, he had the same number of goals and, more, and won more point last year than he had his rookie season in, in 20 fewer games. Um, I think, and this is going to be something that's going to be a recurring theme throughout pretty much his entire career, I imagine. He's going to be... He's going to struggle in the public perception uh, side of things just because he's going to be unfairly compared to Connor McDavid, I think. Uh, I don't know if I buy that. Like, I think, you know, like, I think at some point that's just going to go away. Like, it's, it's, it's not fair. Like, I, I actually, like, I just remember when Edmonton went down there for the first time and watching some of the media coverage, I actually felt bad for him because it's like, it's not his fault that he's not Connor McDavid. Mm. And, you know, like, how many drafts would Jack Eichel have gone first in? Um, Pretty much all of them. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so that's, yeah, so that's, um, so you get my point, right? Like, he would have he gone first a lot. So, you know, um, it's not really fair to him just to, you know, nick him just because he happened to be in the McDavid year. And, and like you say, you're right, yeah, 57 points, 61 games last year. You know, he's, he's 20 years old. Um, I don't know. Like for me, he's one of the top three. I think I think he's top three under twenty five, no problem. Yeah, I think he might be right behind McDavid. Like I'm. I'm oh yeah. I uh, no, he may well. Like he might well be better than uh, be better than Matthews. Like to me, that's an open uh, an open question. So yeah. you know, and that's not a jab at Matthews. It's just you know, like Matthews is great, hmm. but I, I think Eichel's right up there with him. And it's kind of now the thing is, is Matthews kind of had the magical big season in the big media uh, first season in the in the big media market. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Eichel's had a bit more of a grind in Buffalo. But, you know, I think sometimes what happens is guys play in, uh, you know, guys play on bad teams and, you know, they take the heat for it or, or they get, you know, people go, well, if he's that good, you know, if he's so good. Why, why isn't the team better? And it kind of ignores that, you know, Matthews came on to a team that had some good defensemen kicking around, and Eichel, you know, didn't really. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Ray Brinston asks, can you talk about the Blues? Nobody ever talks about the Blues. Um, we'd love to. I don't really know what to say about them at this point. Like, it seems like 
they're not they're not stuck in the mud or anything. Like that's they they're a good team. It's just that I don't like looking at this team. What are what are the main storylines for us uh, in the media to dis- discuss right now? How about the Blues? Yeah, I don't know. Um, like Vlad Tarasenko is very good. Yeah, um, I like their they, team. They haven't. They're not a bad team, but they're just so generic, right? Yeah, like, that's they're the like the ultimate generic NHL team. You know, like they're basically never go past the first two rounds of the playoffs. They're basically never like a complete disaster tire fire. Like they're just you know they play in a market with no attention. So I don't know. Like there's they got some nice players. I actually really liked watching Robbie Fabry. Yep. He's uh, he's a he's a fun young player to watch. We'll see how much you know value he contributes. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they're a pretty generic team. They're in a division like you look at that division, right? Like Chicago's obviously a pretty sexy team. Dallas is a pretty sexy team. Nashville's got a lot of you know like Even start- Winnipeg's a constant sleeper every single season. <laughs> yeah but you get what i'm saying right yeah, like they're yeah. not even like even in like like colorado's like you can't stop looking at it yes so they're not even a team that uh they're not even a team that um yeah there's just there's just they're just kind of there so i don't know i i'm sorry I, I don't really have much exciting to say about st louis yeah well maybe kyle brodsey actually be the face of their franchise if the if if, if, if you if you buy that they're uh just the definition of generic. I mean, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm still looking at this depth chart, and I'm still trying to come up with big takeaways. Um, their blue line is worrisome. Like, I love Pareko, and Petrangelo is very good, obviously. But beyond that, it's uh, a lot of still reliance on Jay Bomeister, who doesn't have much left in the tank. And we've, we've been saying that for the past few years. And then it's like Joel Edmondson and Carl Gunnarsson and Robert Bertuzzo. So that's not ideal. But uh, yeah, the forward group is is interesting to me at least. So I guess that's something to talk about. Yep, yep. No, that's true. That's, that's uh, I don't know. I, I guess. I just kind of like, like they have, I, I, you know what? Part of it maybe is Hitchcock hockey, right? Because he coached there forever and his teams, you know, sometimes aren't the most exciting to watch. So I don't know. It's It's just... Yeah, it is what it is. So do you think, how do you think Hitchcock is going to do um, in Dallas this season? Uh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that works out. Like he is the antithesis of uh, the kind of hockey they've played. Right. So, you know, but that said, you know, he's he's won a lot. He's found a way to win with, you know, offensively skilled players. So, um, yeah, no, I, I don't know how it will work out, but I think it will be interesting just because you're imposing such a, you know, a coach with maybe a different set of beliefs than, um, than, than what was there before. And I guess he's, he's going to have Julius Honka, so I don't even know why they're bothered playing the season. Just hand out the cup now. The Honka Tonk, man. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, one thing, I've I mentioned this before on the show, but one thing I really love is... Uh, just saying Hitchcock's name around uh, people who have either played for him in the past or just played in the league and have heard stories um, that like they like they make this kind of alarmed look on their face instantly. Um, and it's just like this visceral reaction. And I, I think he's definitely uh, you hear these stories about how he has adapted his style uh, over the years. And um, it's, you know, given him more longevity in this league, obviously. Um, I hope that like I, I like this Stars roster, and and yeah. I think that they, they could make a a nice little resurgence season here. But I really hope that it doesn't just completely uh, suck up all the fun out of what they had going previously, because obviously that would uh, 
that would be bad as someone who likes watching them play. So I hope there's a nice balance to be struck there between the things they, they've done well for the past few years and uh, making something more conducive for winning as well. Okay, well, here's the thing that, you know, funny you mentioned that. Did you notice, like, during the coaching press conference, like, when they announced Hitch was hired or whatever, there was somebody, like, some assistant who they hired. I can't remember who it was, but I think he's been with Hitch for a while, so I'm sure he can figure it out. But he was sort of saying that, like, part of his role is to tell him when he needs to calm down. Hmm. And it reminded me, like, when I was uh, when I was just starting out as a lawyer, I had a thing once, I was working for this guy, and he was like, we were going to go to do a, um, a trial. And it was a heated matter. And this guy was like a fiery guy. And, you know, I don't know, I'm young, I'm intimidated. And he goes, if you think I'm getting too worked up, I want you just to tug on my robes to calm me down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to tug on your robes. I'm not terrified of you. And, um, and, and I feel like with Hitch, like, man, you know, God bless that Hitch handler because I'd be terrified to get in there too. Mm. Yes, the, the Hitch handler. That, no, yeah. that guy's going to be able to write a great, great tell-all book someday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully the hitch handler keeps things mellow and uh, and the stars bounce back because you're right. They do have a lot of fun players to watch. Mm, yes. Um, so Trist the Mist, or uh, as his Twitter handle is uh, Versace Cologne, um, asks, will Nashville trade for Duchesne and should they trade for Duchesne? Um, I, see, Duchesne's a weird one. I don't have a firm opinion on him like i haven't looked closely at him because yeah like his last couple of years haven't been great eh no and he's but been good in canada but it's tough to evaluate the given, given that situation right yes no i completely agree i completely agree that being said i can certainly see the argument that what nashville needs is you know like another driver up front so you know i i i, I can understand you know like you know if he is that then yes he seems like a good fit to me like, you look at those finals last year, right? Like, you know, I really think if Ryan Johansson's healthy, you know, they have a much better shot of winning it. But it was like they just didn't have the oomph to get over the line. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, and so from that perspective, it seems like a good fit. Uh, will they do it? Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, he'd make sense on that team, um, obviously. I, I like Matthew Shane. Uh, it would clearly depend on what you were giving up, and you need to factor that in. But... uh I would like to see him go to a place where, uh, I mean, listen, he's 26 years old right now. He's, you know, conceivably in, still in his prime, and uh, he could contribute to a team like that. I think, you know, I got another question about Gabe Landeskog and uh, whether the Avs should be uh, tra- exploring trading him as well. And obviously there were a lot of those rumors last season about him. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Landeskog and whether the Avs should be pursuing that more aggressively than they, than they might be? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like with Colorado. Like, do you have any idea what they're trying to do? Um, big picture. Because I feel like that's a question that you, in order to answer, you need to understand what they're doing in the big picture. Well, I mean, what are they doing? They are going to suck, and they're going to try and acquire as much young talent as possible, I guess. Um, like, yeah. like when, when does Colorado plan to be good again? Do you think Colorado is going to be good again sooner than Detroit? I think they could be, hmm. but like I don't understand what they're doing. Like, like I, did you read that Mike Chambers story about uh, like talking to Joe Sackick the other day? No, I didn't. I, I did read uh, Saved by Wall though. Ah, well, that's uh, it's a that's great good. historical artifact at this point. Yeah, I know. It must be weird reading that and then looking at the standings now and being like, "What happened?" <laughs> Um, no, but like Mike Chambers had this interview with Joe Sackett and I was like, I'm reading it. I'm like, 
they're basically bringing back this. Like they have like four NHL defensemen under contract, maybe five, and like most of them were there last year. Yeah, I, I'm looking at their daily faceoff page, and I love that uh, Nikita Zadorov is listed on their top pair, even though he doesn't have a contract right now. But his picture has the uh, Buffalo Sabers jersey, which is just great. Yeah. It's like yeah, well, it's just complete like, ambivalence. I, I, you know, I don't have any like. Like, I, like the issue for me with the Avalanche is, like, what are they trying to do? And, you know, what is their timeline for doing it? And, and that's, you know, um, that's the issue that I don't really understand. And, like, 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 I don't know. God, I'm looking at that page now, too. And, like, Anton Lindholm is, they have, like, and I know it's just daily face-off, but, yeah. like, like, Anton Lindholm. Well, here's the, here's the, the the saving grace and the reason why I brought up Detroit in that question yeah. is because like two years from now, the Avs are pretty much going to be rid of like every contract other than McKinnon and Eric Johnson. Yeah. Um, which you know, as you you bring up a good point in the fact that there isn't much there, so like you do need an NHL roster, but at the same time, like for Detroit, it's going to be a handful of years before they just get out of this cap hell they're in, and they have so many of these contracts right. that they're going to have trouble. Like, you can't compete with these contracts they have, whereas for the Avs, at least they will have a clean slate. Now, obviously, it depends on whether they can actually build something from it, which is the tough part, but... Well, and, I, they have, yeah, and they have Nathan McKinnon, which Detroit doesn't have. Although, yes. it's funny, have you noticed, like, McKinnon shooting? Was, was that your... P- oh, that yep. was the piece. I, yeah. I have you noticed. Have. You're right. Yes, yes. And, and just to explain to people what was happening there in my little stream of consciousness that were stopping what I was saying, you guys talked about this on the last PDO cast that McKinnon doesn't finish well. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you wonder how much of that is systems or whatever because he looked pretty good for Team Canada. Yeah. But, um, yeah, okay, I guess, I guess I agree with you. I'd rather be in Colorado's position, but I think Colorado needs to start doing some stuff and having it work out. Yes, for sure. Well, I, are are you in the camp that they're not going to be as bad as they were last year just because their goaltending probably won't be historically bad? But at the same time, you do, as you mentioned, like they need they don't have even like three or four NHL defensemen, so that's not a great place for them to start either. So, like they're going to be really bad, obviously. But there's a case to be made they might not be the worst team in the league next season. Uh, they might not be, but I, you know, I like. You know they're going to be in the mix, right? Like who are the who are the teams that might be worse in the league next year if you're doing it today? What do you got? Vancouver, Colorado, Detroit, and New Jersey. I guess those are the yeah. four. And Vegas. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there's your there's your yeah. So like it's a pretty but like like yeah. So like right off the top, we kind of think they're going to be in the uh, in the discussion, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um. North Harvard asks, who's the most overrated player in the NHL and the most underrated? And these questions are always tricky because it, you know, everyone has a different rating system. So it's like, you know, you need to establish that before you discuss who's uh, overrated or underrated. But I think just in terms of like general perception around the league, who are there some names that, that, that pop to mind right, right out of the bat? Um, boy, that's tough. That's tough. I don't know. Who do you got? Um, overrated. I mean, listen, the overrated ones are, um, pretty obvious, right? It's like, I feel like Shea Weber is a pretty good starting point for this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, 
you know, I, I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people do. Right. So he might be, you know, he might be your answer for underrated as well. Well, see, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because there's sort of like, you know, like I sort of like, I, I, I think, I think amongst analytics, people, defensemen who put up points tend to get overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's kind of a, you know, so I, you know, I, I think, I think different kinds of people around hockey have different kinds of overrated players. Yes. Like Weber's probably pretty, you know, I, I think I can see the argument he's overrated with older school hockey guys. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's overrated by, you know, he might be underrated with, you know, sort of numbers doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this question has become uh, trickier to answer in the past couple of years because there's two very, um, you know, opposing camps and schools of thought. Yeah. So it's like there's certain guys that either side latches onto and really hypes up or tries to bring down. And then that instantly shifts, you know, our perception of them and what their actual value might be. So it's tough. Um, underrated. It's funny how for the longest time that answer to that was like Louis Erickson. And now he's one of the worst contracts in the league. So um, I guess things really have changed in that regard the past few years. I don't know, like Nick Backstrom, maybe he puts a point, but forever, whatever reason never seems to, really get a lot of traction in that discussion for like best centers in the league i mean i saw you know nhl network did that list and they already have austin matthews ahead of him which i thought was a bit too uh a bit too rich for my blood well it's funny eh? like so much of this like you know guys reputations like you know baxter plays on a team that's never done anything in the playoffs mm. and and he uh you know obviously ovechkin sucks up a lot of like i i think having a guy around who sucks up a lot of the media oxygen yes uh will do a lot for you being overrated or underrated like i think you see that in um in san jose right with vlasic and burns mm-hmm. something i wrote about recently at the athletic mm. would you would you do you want to do you want to touch on that here for people that haven't read it you know i think everyone has but Oh, uh, have you read it? Uh, I have, obviously. I read all all Tyler Dello pieces, including the one uh, you just posted about Petr Mrazek. I, I was reading it while you were talking. Dimitri, you should be paying attention to what I say. <laughs> you know, you, you, uh, I guess I guess you can come back and listen to this if you, yeah. if you need to hear from me more. Oh God, I would uh, never listen to listen to my voice on this on this podcast. I'm always blown away when people say they enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so the point I was going to make was. Um, no, it's interesting. Like, like one thing with Vlasic, Vlasic seemed this year like he was just getting off the ice a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you look, he had a bad year possession-wise. And I think at least some of it was driven by if a star player left the ice, he would too. And as a result, I think um, you know he would miss out on opportunities to stay on the ice when some offense was happening with the puck going up ice. And a guy like Burns or Schlemko would jump on. And you know that's a case where you know you talk about the allocation of credit amongst players. I think Vlasic maybe gets stiffed a bit uh, by, you know, some analytics guys, and maybe Burns and Schlemko get a little too much uh, too much credit. Yep, I think that's fair. Um, okay, one final question here before we get out of here. Um, Matthew Newland asks about um, the recent Yarmir Yager Calgary Flames rumors and asks what we think about the fit and where he slots into that lineup. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Jager? Do you think he still has um, something left in the tank to contribute? And if so, does he make sense on this Flames team as currently constructed? Uh, he's a funny one, right? He's still productive. Um, he can't move. Like, yeah. he is completely immobile. And, you know, if he wasn't sort of a living legend, the amount of hooking and penalties he would have got last year would have been astronomical. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he literally, he's just constantly hook, 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 hook. 
Um, I don't know. Does he make sense in Calgary? I, I don't know that I really see it. Do you? Well, I like the, I've, you know, a bunch of people have raised this point, but I really think it's an astute one about how, uh, at this point of his career, you mentioned with that speed, like you really have to cater to that. Like when you put Yager out there on the ice on a line, um, it's just going to naturally slow the entire process down. So yeah. while I think he has much more, um, talent than, you know, maybe a guy like Michael Furlan does at this point. So you, you know, just from fan, from a fantasy booking perspective, you'd go, Oh, well, he makes sense on that top line wing with Monaghan and Goodrow, but, I don't really want Yager playing with Goudreau because I want that line to be playing a faster pace. And it makes sense that a guy like Furland had found success with them last I, year, I just because he was able to like retrieve pucks and stuff and, and do just create cause havoc with his speed. Okay. I think you have to call Furland Furland. Is that a, is that a, a fact? Dude, the fact. Yeah. Okay. I'll, do you I'll, know what I'm referencing? No, I don't. Oh, Kevin VX. After they played, I don't know if they Kevin VX a fan, but I love when the Canucks and uh, when the Canucks and Flames played in um, fifteen, when mm-hmm. Calgary made the playoffs, yep, and um, and you know Furland's running around and after the game, BX is like you know ripping him to the meeting at Furkland or whatever his <laughs> name is, and I just think that's such a good burn where you don't even know a guy's name and he's obviously been you know driving you nuts all yes, game. That is a good burn. So right. I, I thought it was uh, an epic display of disrespect and surprisingly entertaining for a hockey player in a post game interview. Well, the fact that the, the, the fact that, the fact that Ferkland's parents uh, named him Michael but then put the E before the A drives me nuts. <laughs> oh, me too. And I, I don't know if he's one of those guys. I, I don't know if the NHL always gets it right. The mm-hmm. spelling. Yep. Like I think they do now, but I think initially there's some there's some wobbly ones. Yep. Uh, rights code digging apart the um, the NHL's data. You spend a lot of time watching out for that. Like as to your your hockey point, before I got down on the, uh, on the Brooklyn the, train. kind of the issue right is you almost have to build around him now mm-hmm. and it's you know like i don't know calgary's got a bunch of other people right and and he kind of limits the extent to which you can play with speed so i don't know like i think i think he probably makes place like he probably makes sense like on a slow team yeah i'm not sure that calgary's that team yeah just get him on get him on the get him on the sharks and get him playing with joe thornton and and whoever else and just really just grind the game down as much as possible See, I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or get him, you know, get him, you know, I guess LA has already said that they're going to pass, but that would be fun too. Yeah, I think LA needs to go in the other direction. They need to, uh, they need oh, to speed need to up go... a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'm actually, LA is one of, I think, going to be one of the most interesting teams this year to see, uh, you know, my prediction is their Corsi will fall, their shooting percentage will go up. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think they're going to try and uh, make some plays and take some risks with the puck. And um, I'll tell you my other prediction for LA this year. Uh, I want to see if they turn Drew Doughty loose. Ooh, like to Toronto or? No, no, no. Like turn Drew Doughty loose to play offensively. Yeah. yeah. Because I, you know, like again, like and this has kind of been a theme today, Dimitri. But talking about context, mm-hmm. I think uh, Doughty's a guy who has been limited by the context of LA and how they want him to play within uh, the Sutter system. Yep. And so I'm really excited to see what will happen. Because he's fun to watch, eh? Like, when he's got the puck and he's skating. Yeah. But yeah, you know, he's, he's fun to watch. Which is, which is funny because during that whole, um, you know, Carlson-Dowdy war from two years ago, um, like, it got lost 
in the shuffle that Dowdy himself is also incredibly fun to watch. And while he wasn't racking up the offensive totals that, that Carlson was, like he's still he's still a remarkably dynamic talent and I, I really enjoy watching him play. So I would love to see um him be kind of let loose a little bit and, and spread his wings and try to create more offensively himself. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, like, not to get the whole Kings thing, but, like, I, I didn't really find, like, the Heat Kings to be, like, a super exciting hockey team to watch. Nope. Like, I don't know. Like, they just pound the crap out of their teams on the board. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, like, obviously, they're very good at it. They won two Stanley Cups. Um, but, you know, like, when you talk about the teams that were great to watch from this era, I, I think Chicago and Pittsburgh will be above them on the on the Stanley Cup winners list. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm really like, you know, I think Dowdy could be a ton of fun to watch, and I really hope that they that they turn him loose this year with a new coach. Yep, I like it. All right, uh, Tat, let's get out of here. We've uh, fulfilled our obligations. Um, people can follow you at Delo Hockey on Twitter and and check out all your stuff at the Athletic. Yep, that's uh, that's right. Eight kilometers left in the Vuelta, Dimitri, and it looks like Michael Woods is hanging around uh, in in the peloton where he needs to be. Good old Ottawa boy. Um, Good old Ottawa boy. All right, well, Tyler, uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, and, and maybe we'll have you back on um, before the season to talk about the Pacific Division and discuss the uh, Kings in more depth, because I do think that that's going to be a, a topic you and I will be bouncing back and forth quite a bit this season. Sounds fun, Dimitri. Right. Always good. You have a good summer, too, pal. Chat soon. Yep, cheers, bud. Bye. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Hey.